He arose. Amen. Amen. The tomb is empty. But the empty tomb is not the only evidence of his resurrection. The Bible tells us that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. And her life was never the same after that encounter. Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were secretly meeting and they were never the same. Those afraid disciples who were hiding for fear of their life. And over and over again, the, the resurrected Jesus appeared to his disciples even when they didn't realize that he would walk along the way with them and then he would disappear and they would realize that it was him and they were never the same again. And the question that I would like to ask you to ask yourself today is have you encountered the risen Lord? Have you met the resurrected Jesus? Because if you have, then you know that your life can never be the same again. And if you haven't, then know that, that you can today. That's what happened to the life of a man by the name of Saul. He had an encounter with Jesus. Saul was not a follower of Jesus before Jesus was crucified, but after Jesus died and after he rose from the dead, Jesus appeared to him. The risen Lord appeared to Saul and, and he had an unexpected encounter with him that yielded unprecedented effects and results. And I wanna tell you his story is found in the book of Acts chapter nine, beginning with verse one. Acts chapter nine, verse one, I'm reading from the NIV, and it reads like this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, <clears throat> excuse me, and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. As we look at the life of Saul in this unexpected encounter, I hope that you can receive something, that you can learn something from that encounter, that you can relate to a part of this story somehow. And the first thing that I've already mentioned happens here is indeed an unexpected encounter in every sense. This is a surprise to Saul, so much so that he's knocked out. He, he falls uh, to the ground and he is blind and speechless. It was an unexpected encounter. Have you ever had an unexpected encounter? I don't mean running into people at the restaurant or at the mall. That happens here in McAllen all the time. I'm talking about the kind of unexpected encounter that is life-changing. I'm talking about the unexpected encounter that stops you dead in your tracks and that, can never, that you can never be the same after such an encounter. 
Someone has called that a kairos moment. The word kairos comes from the Greek, is one of the two words in the Greek for time. One is chronos, you're familiar with that word. We measure chronos type of time with our watches, it's quantitative. But kairos kind of time is qualitative. It's about the quality of time. It talks about special moments. It's really sort of an interruption in your daily routine. And this is the kairos moment for the life of Saul. And sometimes we get kairos moments in our lives, moments that redirect us. Saul was a zealous Jew. He was a very religious man. He could have been considered a fanatic. He was so committed to the Jewish religion that he was willing to destroy anybody who was a threat to his religion. Do you know people like that? Do you know people that are so committed to their religion that they wanna get rid of everybody else that might be a threat? I, I just, uh, someone came up to me right before the service and, and shared with me that this Easter morning in Sri Lanka, three churches were bombed and that hotels were bombed and that people are dead. And often there's a religious reason for such an act. Saul believed that Jesus was an enemy of the Jewish religion. He was probably very happy when they crucified him and they put him in the tomb. And it made Saul very upset that even though they had managed to execute Jesus, that his followers continued to multiply. That they were spreading like wildfire, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the entire region. And he was committed to stopping this nonsense. It's important to note that Saul was very religious and very sincere. Because it reminds us that you can be very religious and very sincere and still be very wrong. Amen. Saul believed that he was doing it for God. If Saul had imagined that God would appear to him, he probably imagined that God would say, Saul, you're doing such a great job. Keep taking Christians to jail. Thank you for doing that for me. How often are, are sincere religious people so convinced that, they, that they're engaged in a holy war of sorts? From, from the history of the Crusades or, or the Holy Inquisition or, or Jihad or even in today's environment, terrorist acts and the kind of hate that there is between religions, whether they're evangelicals or Catholic or Jewish or Muslim, it continues to happen. Never in a million years would Saul have imagined that he was working against God. Can you imagine the surprise when, when, when God appears to him and he says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, hold on, who's this? Who are you, Lord? Verse five. And the answer is, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what Saul must have felt when the Jesus that he thought was dead appears to him? He thought he was working for God, but now he realizes he's been working against God. God has to get his attention. It is an unexpected encounter, but a necessary one. God leaves Saul blinded and speechless and startled. His shock is so huge that he can't drink anything or eat anything for three days. He's trying to sort out, what happened, man? Where did I go wrong? 
Sometimes you don't realize that you're heading in the wrong direction. You're so convinced that you're doing the right thing. Whether, whether it's the, the lifestyle you're carrying or whether it's the religion that you're adhering to and you're saying, I know I'm right. And sometimes God has to intervene and interrupt you and say, no, you're not. You're not going in the right direction. You need to turn around. You need to redirect your life. I need to calibrate your heart with my heart, God says. You might be on your knees. You might be crying and confused, but his grace is at work. It is his grace that interrupts you. It is his grace that redirects you. It is his grace that meets you in an unexpected way. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he shows up in an unexpected encounter and you can never be the same again. The second thing we, we see in this story is that, that there's an unlikely envoy. Saul's ex unexpected encounter with the resurrected Lord leaves him exposed and isolated. Imagine, he had the same backing for his uh, crusade against the Christians that, that Jesus, the same people, the same high priests, the same religious leaders in Jerusalem that led to the crucifixion of Jesus were behind Saul. And now Saul is encountered by the risen Lord. He can't go back to the Jewish leaders and say, guess what, we're wrong. Because they would have done the same thing to him that they did to Jesus. So he doesn't have that backing anymore and, and he doesn't know any disciples. The only disciples he knew was the ones that he was about to arrest. And so there he is, what is he supposed to do? So notice what verse 10 uh, says as we pick up the story. It says, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I've always gotten a kick out of that. I wonder how the other streets were. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Luke tells us that there is this disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. We don't really know much about Ananias. There's nothing about him in the Bible before this story, and there's nothing about him in the Bible after this story. This is the only time we meet him. We don't know anything about his family, his background. All we know is that he's a follower of Jesus. And the Lord appears to him in a vision and informs him that he has been chosen to lead Saul to become a disciple, to close the deal, if you would, to introduce him to the truth of Jesus and to baptize him. God had gotten Saul's attention and now he's getting Ananias' attention. The problem is that Ananias had heard about Saul 
And he knew that Saul had come to Damascus to arrest people like him. And, and so he's hesitant. Maybe I didn't hear right. And he, and he tells God, you know, and what he does is he tries to inform God just in case God didn't know this. Have you ever tried to do that? When God is leading you to do something, you say, wait a minute, God, let me tell you something you may not know. And I says, this is a guy who has come to destroy us. Just in case you didn't know. That's the guy you're asking me to go to. And, and, and God says to him, yes, you need to go. Because I have a, a plan for this unlikely prospect. This former persecutor of the church is going to become a proclaimer of Christ. Because that's what God can do. God can take an alcoholic and make him an announcer of good news. He can take a Muslim and make him a messenger of Christ. He can take a hater and make him a healer. He can take the life of someone who you never would have imagined would have been a follower of Christ and make him a follower of Christ. He can take the most unlikely people and make them the most prominent leaders. That's what the, Christ, the risen Christ does. Who are the greatest enemies of the faith? Who are the people that you think could never come to faith? Who are the people who, who you say hate Christians so much that we ought to hate them back? They're beyond reach. They're beyond the scope of love. Well, let me remind you of something. The resurrection of Jesus means that no one is beyond hope. The resurrection of Jesus means that no one is beyond reach. That even those who hate Christians, even those who hate Jesus, are in God's reach because of his grace. The most unlikely person can become a fully committed follower of Christ. That's the story of Saul. Not only was Saul an unlikely prospect to be a follower of Jesus, but Ananias was an unlikely prospect to lead him to Jesus. There's nothing here that tells us that he was an evangelist or, or a pastor or an elder or a deacon. He was an ordinary Christian. Notice how, how God made Saul a hater of Christians into a fully committed follower of Jesus. And then he had... Uh, spoke to an unlikely envoy in order to close the deal with Saul. He, he went to Ananias because that's how God works today also. Today, today God is working in people's heart. Today God is having Kairos moments in people's lives. There are people who are being stopped in their tracks and they're confused and they're startled and they're spiritually blind and, and they're spiritually speechless and they're waiting for someone to come and close the deal. For someone to come and say, look, what's happening in your life is that God is looking for you. What's happening in your life is, is that you were going in the wrong direction and God has stopped you because he wants you to go in his direction. And as you pray, the Holy Spirit will nudge you about that. About three years ago, there was a young man by the name of Daniel who was struggling, struggling with alcoholism and uh, he was hurt. His, his dad was murdered when he was a young boy and he'd experienced all kinds of difficulties in his life. He was hurt and in pain and when he was under the influence of alcohol, he had thoughts of hurting himself, even taking his life. And, and, and as this turmoil was going on in his life, Daniel was walking through the campus of Calvary Baptist Church one day. About the same time that that happened, God led us to bring somebody on our staff by the name of Paulo. And on that day, by God's divine sovereignty, Daniel and Paolo had an encounter. 
And Daniel told Paulo what was going on in his life and, and Paulo told him about Jesus. And he led him, he closed the deal. God had been looking for Daniel for a long time. And Paulo led him to Christ and Paulo baptized him right here three Easter's ago. And while Daniel had discovered his new life in Christ, he had a friend who had similar struggles. And Daniel didn't have it all together yet, but, but he knew that his friend needed the same Jesus he had encountered. His friend's name was David and he went and looked for David. And David came to church and David made the same commitment for Christ. Neither Daniel nor David are perfect. They struggle, they, they fall and they get up, but both of them know that there is a risen Christ who loves them and who redeems them. Both of them are a reminder that the resurrected Christ uses imperfect people to bring others to him. That the resurrected Lord uses unlikely envoys to accomplish his purposes. The resurrection of Jesus means that you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. We simply need to listen and obey. Thirdly, in this story, we see an unprecedented effect. Everything about Saul's conversion is surprising. But then we see the result of his conversion. Look at verse, the rest of verse 19 and 20. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. Immediately after his baptism, Saul began to gather with other disciples. He began to be in community. And simultaneously, not when he earned a certificate in Christian ministry, not when he went to seminary, but simultaneously, he began to go to the synagogues and tell them that Jesus is the son of God. Do you remember the beginning of the story just a few verses ago? Saul was on his way to the synagogues but he was on his way to the synagogues to find Jews who thought that Jesus was the Messiah so that he could arrest them and perhaps have them executed. Now Saul is on his way to the same synagogues, but on this occasion, it's not to arrest the followers of Jesus, but to say, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. You know how I know? Because he met me on the road to Damascus. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. That's how I know. That's what Saul became, a messenger of the gospel. Not just to the Jews, but to the whole world. Remember verse 15 that we read a minute ago? It says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. Listen, listen to this. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I love God's sense of humor. He, here is a proud Jew who thinks he's better than everybody else. And God says, I'm gonna choose you to be my number one messenger to the non-Jews. What, what an irony. That's God's sense of humor. He, 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 he calls Saul to do something Saul never dreamed, dreamt of. It, it, they weren't his plans, but they were God's plans. Saul was later named Paul. His name changed. You know when you encounter the risen Lord, your name ought to change. If your name doesn't change, your identity changes. It is that radical. And Paul made three tours of the ancient world, planting seven gospel saturation movements. Uh, Pastor Chad talked about this last, last Sunday. We have a map that he used where, where throughout the, the known world, in these three journeys, he planted seven gospel saturation movements. It, it, it is the resurrected Christ that met Saul 
the persecutor of the church, and he became the greatest missionary that history has ever known, to the point that in Romans 15, Paul writes, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Paul says, I've been from Jerusalem to Asia to Southern Europe, and the only place I have left is Western Europe. I need to get to Spain, but I've covered everything else. Do you think that Ananias had any idea the day that God showed up and said, Ananias, I need you to go pray for this guy who's blind and speechless that I, that I knocked to his feet. Do you think Ananias had any idea what God would do in the life of Saul? Probably not. But God used Ananias to bring Saul to full discipleship. The resurrection brings about unprecedented effects the risen Lord changes lives, but he also changes the world. The risen Lord changes families, and he changes communities. He changes churches. He changes cities. He changes entire regions. He's done it before, and he can do it again. We've seen the unprecedented effect of Saul's conversion on the New Testament map that you just saw. Now, here's a look at the Rio Grande Valley map. There are 1.5 million people living north of the border along, along the valley. There are a couple more million people south of the border. And, and more than half of the people that live here do not know the risen Savior. More than half of the people that live here do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And we've said here at Calvary that that's not okay. We've said here at Calvary that as long as we're here, we wanna see more disciples. We want to see more people that come to know the risen Savior. In fact, we've been so bold as to say that we would like to see 65,000 new disciples by the year 2020. And you may think that's a crazy amount. But you know, throughout the day today, there'll be over 1,000 people here from the 9.30 service to 11 o'clock to 12.30 service. There'll be 12, 1,300 people here today. Can you imagine if all of us would pray for five people who are far from God? Can you imagine if, if those 6,000 pray for another five people and they become maybe 30,000? And those 30,000 pray for another five people and they become 150,000? You see, just in three generations of praying, we can double the goal. Now, I, I know God's kingdom doesn't work with mathematical formulas. I know that. But I just want you to know and see that, that when God wants to start a movement, he can do it. He did it with one individual. He did it with Saul. What can he do with 12, 1300 of us if we are willing and ready to be used by him? The Rio Grande Valley can be a different place because we know that Jesus is alive. We believe that the resurrection of Jesus brings about an unprecedented effect. We believe that Easter is more than just coming to church and having a nice meal after church. We believe that Easter means transformation. It is the power of the risen Lord working in our world. God is working in the hearts of people already. He's already stopping people on the road to Damascus. And he's nudging you and me to say, I need you to go and talk to so-and-so. I want you to watch this video as we get ready to close.
This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas on Uncommon Joy and Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. Only heaven knows. Amen? Yes. Only heaven knows the impact of our sharing the gospel with someone else. On the road to Damascus, the risen Lord encountered Saul, and his life was never the same. In fact, the world was never the same. And today, if you have never encountered the risen Lord, then you can know him personally. You can receive his forgiveness. That's why he died for you on the cross. And you can receive the power for new life. That's why he rose from the dead. Will you trust him? Will you receive the power of the risen Lord in your life today? 
Will you come to encounter the risen Lord and never be the same again? Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe that's how this Easter will be different for you. It'll be life-changing. It'll change your eternal destiny as you trust Jesus. You can pray that here in a few moments. And if you're already a Christ follower, then I wanna ask you to take it up a notch. You, you receive, hopefully, or you took one of these bookmarkers when you came in. One part of the marker, it has a place where you can write five names of people who are far from God. I already wrote my five names here. And then once you write those names, you can detach that card and you can put that card in your wallet, in the dashboard of your car, in the mirror, in the restroom mirror, wherever you're gonna see it and remember to pray for those five people. And then this bookmarker has 30 days of scripture. So that in the next 30 days, you can read a scripture and you can pray for these five people. I wonder if you would commit today because Christ is alive and because he's working in the hearts of people, I wonder if today you will commit to say, I will pray for five people for 30 days and I will watch God at work. Do you think that if 1,200 of us are praying for five people, that if there are over 5,000 people being prayed for in the next 30 days, do you think that some of them would come to know Jesus? I, I believe God can do that. I don't know where God is working and who he's working with, but he knows and he wants to use us. In fact, April 26, I'm expecting to have a big baptismal service because I'm believing the risen Lord. Will you listen? Will you obey? Will you commit? Will you take time right now to fill out that little card? Put five names of people that God puts in your heart, people who you know, relatives, workmates, neighbors, classmates who are far away from God, people who you think may not become Christians. Ananias would have never thought that Saul would become a Christian, but God wants you to pray for them. Will you make that commitment? Take time to do that right now. If you didn't get a bookmarker, ushers have some back here. You can raise your hand and they can get them to you. Take time to do that. For those of you that are in elementary, we have a little paper for you to make a little toy. Pastor Susan calls it a cootie catcher. This will allow you to pray for your friends as you use it. If your commitment today is to trust Christ for the first time, then pray right where you are. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you died for my sins and I know you rose from the dead. I receive your gift of forgiveness and I receive the power of the resurrected Lord to live a new life that I could never live. From this day forward, I will follow you. I will live for you because of what you did for me, because of your love, I receive it. That's your prayer today. I hope you'll come and share it with me. We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. If you're still writing the names, stay writing the names. That's more important. But those of you that have already, if, you, if you're committing to pray for five people for the next 30 days, would you stand? If you're committing to pray for five people in the next 30 days, would you stand? All right, all right. God is going to do something with that. He's going to do something with that. 
as you continue to think about this, those of you that are ready to sing, let's sing. If you want to come to the front, you can come as the Lord leads you.